you know, we're often afraid of what we don't understand. And so my hope is that by, you know, providing resources and definitions and content like that, that that'll kind of break a barrier down. And so when people have language to describe the thing that they're afraid of, we can have a more meaningful conversation about what the like actual issue is, right? The, the issue in banning books, for example, like has nothing to do with, you know, age appropriateness. It very much has to do with what people think sexuality is. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth, and I am excited to introduce you to Ace Schwartz from Teaching Outside the Binary. Did I say your name correctly? Yes, you did. Excellent. And we're going to be talking about actions for allies. We're kicking off Pride Month, but also Ace is an educator, middle school science teacher of the year, as well as Glisten's 2019 educator of the year. If you're not familiar, that is an LGBTQ group recognizing um, individuals who are making a difference, right? Am I... Mm -hmm. categorizing that accurately yeah and I would definitely put you in that box before we get started I want to remind our listeners that we are not giving advice we're not medical professionals and this is for general education and entertainment purposes and not intended to diagnose advise or treat any physical or mental illness and we are going to be talking about some deep topics because if you're listen to if you're listening to this at a later time there has been terrible violent tragedies in a school in the last week of today's time and we're going to talk about what we can do and and how to process that a little bit so maybe preview this if you have little ears around to make sure that you know how much you want to share but definitely if you are triggered by that sort of conversation maybe skip past just the first part of the podcast or that section but I'm hoping that it can be empowering and that the conversation can help us move forward in a thoughtful way because that is the way to make progress in the world is to kind of accept where we are in order to get to a better place hopefully so I'm excited because I have been following you for at least a year And as I mentioned, you are an educator of the year, but what I love is that you teach, and I'm using quotation marks, outside the binary, not just to your own middle school science students in Pennsylvania, but also via the internet. And I will say from personal experience that your presence can be both something that like my kiddo identifies with and loves reading the books that you recommend, but also from an educational perspective as a parent who wants to be a good ally. I I love all of the resources that you provide. So I will say that every single book that I have given kiddo based on your recommendations has been a huge hit. And what I'm hoping today is that we can 
help our listeners with some of that education as well as actionable steps that even if they're not a parent, but they want to participate in being supportive of the LGBTQ community, how they can take steps to be allies and also your perspective as an educator given when we're talking and recent events. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. What didn't I cover? Please introduce yourself. Tell us <laughs> tell us all about you. Sure. So my name is Ace Schwartz. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. And I have been a middle school science teacher for seven years now. We wrap up next Tuesday, June 7th. Yeah, June 7th. That'll be my seventh year. And I... I love teaching. I love teaching science. It very much fits with my vibe as a human. And I'm also a queer and non-binary teacher. And there's a lot of, you know, layers uh, to that in my teaching. Like, I'm not just a science teacher. My, you know, gender and sexuality definitely influence how I walk through school and how I teach. And I, I got into teaching kind of by accident. I was supposed to take over my dad's soda business. And then I was given the opportunity to teach Sunday school and it was for preschoolers. I'm still not hundred percent sure how I went from teaching preschool to teaching middle school, but I absolutely love middle school, even though some folks like can't imagine teaching middle school. I think that toddlers and teenagers have a lot in common. Yeah. They're just like going through a lot of changes <laughs> and figuring out like their identities. And that's such a beautiful thing to be a part of, right. As, as a person watching these other humans, you know, grow, from sixth grade to eighth grade. I just think there's something really cool about that. And uh, yeah, but I have kind of been on my identity journey since I was about six years old. I had a feeling that I was not the gender I was assigned at birth, but I didn't quite have the language for it. And my parents, who I love dearly, just didn't understand and weren't able to support me in the way that I needed it. So I really didn't start exploring all that until my mid-20s. So this is very, me being out and open is still like a very new two, three-year process. And I'm learning so much about myself every day. I love that. I think that um, personally, I am also exploring my identity on a daily basis. It might not have to be with gender, but I think we as humans can be our best selves when we continue to explore who we are and who we want to be and be constantly on that journey of, I don't want to say self-improvement, but I do think it's about like identifying who you are and kind of pulling that apart from who you've become maybe from societal norms and all of those kind of influences that affect especially gender identity. And I think also there's a lot of aspects in life of, of people I speak with who are never felt comfortable to be or do the things that they wanted to in life because they just thought, oh, that's not appropriate. And so the idea that you're able to help other students see those qualities in themselves, even if they're not on the same like gender identity journey as you, I think that seeing another adult explore that side of themselves empowers them to say, you know what, maybe I can you know, wear this color that I didn't think I could, but is my favorite or what, you know what I mean? Just simple things like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to thank you for being here this week for those not listening in real time. As I mentioned, less than a week has passed since the deadly senseless act in Texas. And as an educator, I can't imagine how scary that is. And as you noted on Instagram, as the 144th day of 2022, we had 212 mass shootings this year. 
gun violence is absolutely a health crisis, and especially to vulnerable populations like the BIPOC and LGBTQ community we see more affected. Can you share more about what it's like to lead in the classroom through this time? Yeah, when I saw that tweet that I posted from Public Citizen, it just like it hit me because I feel like a part of me is so emotionally raw from this and also at the same time like desensitized. Like I went into school the next day. Like it was it wasn't that it was like going back to normal, so to speak, but like I was expected to, you know, show up to work and you know, 19 children had just been killed and I seeing that tweet just really kind of like hit home like what have we become as a society at this point where we can see numbers like this and you know we're still showing up for work the next day but you know I remember Wednesday of last week walking into school and just like looking over you know my blinds to make sure that my blinds went down to make sure that like I knew how I'd get out of the building I was thinking about like our windows have a safety latch so they don't open all the way so like you know how could we break the windows right to to get out and so like just like really small details that maybe took two to three minutes to think over but that was just kind of like my gut reaction and I I told my mom because we we talk every morning and I I told her you know I have people that I want to go home to too you know I don't I think there's this um you know, I, I would do anything to protect my students. And also, like, I don't want to have to make that choice. I hope that makes sense. But it, it just like there's just so many big feelings. And it, it's really interesting because my students knew about it, but they did not seem as phased um, by it as the teachers, like the adults. And that also made me really sad because, you know, this is something that they've grown up with. So a lot of them either were just born when Sandy Hook happened. And so they, you know, have grown up with with this kind of this kind of stuff their entire life, which is really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's it's difficult to imagine. I know my kiddo goes to an emotional support school and it was a difficult conversation, especially in that environment. And one of the students was just like, I don't get what the big deal is. Like, why? Why does this even matter? And it was it was difficult for other students to hear that and not be like, what? You know, and I think the thing that got me about the message that you shared is this idea that gun violence is absolutely a health crisis, especially because this podcast's origins were originally very health-centric focused from a physical health perspective. And there was a lot of diaculture mindset in the beginning. And we've gone through this big journey and transformation of thinking of health in terms of a broader concept of mental well-being, um, emotional well-being, and also the idea that health is inclusive of public health. Health is inclusive of wanting everyone to be able to have the same access to health. And that has meant exploring a lot of different types of topics. And I think for me, I come from a background of, I was a vegetarian for seven years. My father was a hunter. My father owns guns. And I personally 
thought it was the worst thing in the world. Like when I was a teenager and I was a vegetarian, like I remember shaming him and just really like getting into arguments with him about it. And finally we sat down like as logical human beings, which is difficult with teenagers sometimes, but you know, shout out to my dad. And he logically talked through it with me and he was like, Stacy, how many deers do you see hit on the road? Like I am using a license. I am following the rules. I, I took safety classes. I keep my gun in a safe behind a locked closet door. Like, you know, walking through all of these different things that he does to be safe with that. And so when I, I, I find myself at this crux of like gun violence is absolutely a health crisis. And I also think that there's a lot of common sense things that that can be done, like 90% of people, my understanding of what the polls are saying, agree with change. And I think that most gun owners logically agree with that stuff. (laughs) Like my father himself is like, I do this, this and this to be safe. And so I just I think that it's it is a crisis that our children are not affected or are so affected that, you know, the other side of that is children having anxiety attacks about going to school or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's this whole flip side of the coin that, you know, I've also experienced with my children of being very stressed about that and not being able to say as a parent, it's okay, you're going to be safe. There's, don't worry about that because I can't guarantee that. I can't, you know, there's clearly, there's, there's nothing that I can if I'm being authentic and truthful with them, I can't say, well, you don't have to worry about that because they're seeing that they do. And so it's just, I can't imagine being in the position that you're in and not being able to astute, you know, personal beliefs, but to lead through that and to also how difficult it would be to, to teach both from the perspective of, I talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy from the perspective of if you're not safe, none of, none of the other things matter, right? So when we're talking about like the details of health and, you know, all these other things, like that doesn't matter if we don't have basic safety and security. And so if a child is in your class who does not feel safe or who has genuine concern for their safety, whether it's at home or what might come into the school or whatever that might be, like that means you can't teach. And I think that also kind of bridges to the conversation of, you know, acceptance in the LGBTQ community and all of that kind of stuff, because safety means a whole lot of different things. I know I just like opened this huge can of worms and I'm going to like hand the ball over to you, but it's just impossible for me to, to, to imagine being in your shoes. You know, I just, what teachers have been through over the last couple of years is, is heartbreaking and heroic to say the least. I really appreciate it, you saying that, because we definitely, like, don't hear that enough, and, you know, sometimes I'll get it from my students, but, like, from, it, it, you know, as adults, even though we're adults, we like hearing that we're doing a good job, and I feel like that has been lacking from the adults in the U.S. <laughs> the last, um, Fair. <laughs> yeah, year and a half, so thank you so much, That's, that means a lot. Yeah, so I guess... As we, as we think about some of these unsafe things that might be affecting our children. So, for example, this year, more than ever in recent history, we have seen a reduction in human rights, especially to the LGBTQ community. Having a trans non-binary kiddo, it has affected, like, our travel plans. You know, we, we used to 
travel a lot through the Southeast and that's not something that we're comfortable doing at this point because it didn't occur to me that how are we going to use public restrooms as we drive through and what's that going to be like where? And I've gone from being like surprised about hateful rhetoric to now realizing that fear is a driving force for so many beliefs and is truly keeping us from connecting as a community, right? Like this idea of assuming the worst of each other or jumping to conclusions without really fully understanding something and just, you know, being on opposite edges of whether it's, you know, internet algorithm or what, I don't know. But instead of being able to just come together as a community and respect one another and listen to one another, I'm wondering how you're seeing that in some of the education that you provide to specifically in the the non-binary work that you do online. Although I know we've talked a lot about your classroom, but I think, you know, what what benefit could we maybe share and talk about from uh, that perspective for the LGBTQ community and, and allies, people who want to support? Yeah, I think the first piece of a lot of this harmful legislation is just like a really solid misunderstanding or lack of information, like thinking they understand what the issue is and getting it completely wrong. And I feel like that's what a lot of these these things are rooted in. And so part of the reason I started my platform is because people had questions about, you know, what it means to be non-binary, what these things kind of look like. And, you know, education is the first piece of that. You know, we're often afraid of what we don't understand. And so my hope is that by, you know, providing resources and definitions and content like that, that that'll kind of break a barrier down. And so when people have language to describe the thing that they're afraid of, we can have a more meaningful conversation about what the like actual issue is, right? The the issue in banning books, for example, like has nothing to do with, you know, age appropriateness. It very much has to do with what people think sexuality is is right it's not just about having sex it's about identity and how you feel about other people and so i just think that a big crux of of all of this is just a true lack of understanding and also kind of a a lack of willingness to learn and so that's kind of my first piece is educating and then another piece of it is you know some folks think that you have to overhaul everything that you've ever done in your life to be inclusive and that's not true right a lot of this stuff can be done in really simple, quick things, even just like unlearning our own biases. And so that I think has been the most successful piece for me or where I found conversations have really shifted. But yeah, did that answer your question? Yeah, I love the idea of having words for something, giving power to it. Have you read Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart? I love Brene Brown, but I have not read that one. I think you will really love that one. I am new simply because I I try not to be influenced by other people's work who might align with what I'm talking about. And I never want to like accidentally use someone else's idea as my own. And so I had avoided consuming her content for a really long time. And I did a book club with my team and we did Alice of the Heart and I read it like multiple times. Like I'd read a chapter and then I'd listen to the audiobook of the chapter and then I'd go back in the book and I'd highlight it. But the whole thing is about mapping out emotions into words so that they can open up conversation and help us understand one another better. And so 
the speaks to the concept that you're talking about, which is that, you know, when we don't understand something or when we think we understand it, but that's based off of an assumption instead of a fact, the more that we can kind of put facts in place versus opinions on things, I think the easier it is for people to understand. And I'm curious if maybe you can talk a little bit about your personal experiences living as a non-binary adult and an educator. What have you seen to be the most helpful in educating others? And also, I'm, I'm kind of curious about, you know, how you process things that could potentially get in the way and create divisiveness, those assumptions or judgments that inevitably lead to hate and that friction that pushes us apart versus, you know, compassion and understanding. And I, I know that's that's where your heart leads and, and your education process leads. I'm wondering how you integrate that into your own life um, personally. Yeah. So something that really struck with me when you talked about like the mapping emotions, and I think this really relates to the question you just asked. I read an amazing book by Zaretta Hammond uh, called Culturally Responsive Teaching in the Brain. And it's all about how our brain responds to our biases or like how our defenses come up. And we can't accomplish any learning or we can't accomplish any, you know, bridge to education when those defenses are up. And so I have recognized in conversations, either on the internet or in real life, when people are just so on guard that nothing I say is going to matter. And I have to like reapproach it at a later time or rethink how I'm approaching the conversation in general. And then sometimes there's just people who are so like not stuck in their ways that's not accurate but are very firm in their beliefs and they're they don't actually want to learn they they want to kind of have this debate but the debate is that their side is correct and they're not actually willing to listen and so I have learned that I can't reach everyone and that has been such a healthy thing for me is you know I'm not taking all that stuff personally anymore like if I don't change someone's mind or if I don't you know, get something through to them. Sometimes you you just have to block those people and focus on the folks that you can have those conversations with. And that, that used to be like a thing I really struggled with. You know, like I have this position, I have this platform, I need to engage with everybody, even if they're really horrible, you know, they're saying really horrible vitriolic things to me. And that's not the case. And ever since I've kind of shifted that frame, I, it's just been such a healthier relationship with social media, with my platform. So it is okay to, you know, stop engaging in people who don't actually want to listen to what you're saying. And I, I think that's helped me in school as well as a teacher and an adult. Like, I don't have to engage in conversation with people who don't actually want to learn. And that's the same for me. Like, if I feel very strongly about something, you know, I'm not going to wait, not waste somebody's time. That's not a fair thing, but I'm not going to, you know, let another person expend emotional energy on me. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think what comes to mind for me is the idea of agree to disagree. And I think we always hope that that can be kind of like mutual and healthy. But I think a lot of times, especially on the internet, we forget that there's a human on the other side, or at least in my receiving end. Oftentimes people forget I'm a human, so I'm sure it's the way, the same way with you. And it's difficult because 
it's like you're getting this vitriol just like spat at you that is clearly coming from someplace else. I've found that the most healthful response for me has been to allow myself to realize that it's not really about me, that they've got Mm -hmm. something else going on in their life that's a driving factor for them and trying to have compassion for that and calling it out and saying like, hey, I recognize that you're feeling big feelings right now. I don't think that that's directed at me because what you're saying is not what I said. Do you want to have an actual conversation about this or you just spun up and, you know, going in this different direction? And what I have found amazingly and that takes a lot of self-regulation and for most people I recognize that when you're at Thanksgiving dinner and Uncle Joe is like going off about whatever that's going to be a difficult conversation to have Mm -hmm. I'm able to take some space and to leave the message there until I'm able to come back to it but what's amazing is how often it is a much higher percentage of people who acknowledge the mistake that they've made and apologize and take accountability for their actions and their tone And that makes them more open to have that conversation. And I think it speaks to what you were just talking about, this mindset of like needing to approach something differently, right? It's like that reset of not engaging into a like more escalated, more escalated, more escalated conversation and kind of bringing it back down and saying like, I'm not going to do that with you. (laughs) Like if you want to dance, I'm not joining, but I'm, I'm interested in having this conversation if it actually matters to you. And I have been able to have conversation with a few people who completely misunderstood some of the, for example, the, the definition of gender affirming care, right? Like this is, this is, this concept in children is very difficult for a lot of people because they, they believe that there are children who are having medical, surgical, permanent procedures at a young age. And it is because like at this nebulous term of gender affirming healthcare is being used. And, you know, most people don't understand that that means simply in most cases, puberty blockers to allow the child to make a decision when Mm -hmm. they are of age to do so. And that research is incredibly compelling. The science on that being a much healthier solution than not affirming their gender with healthcare, which leads to increased societal, increased suicidal tendencies and mm-hmm. a whole host of other things that are much, much worse from a health perspective than anything of pausing puberty might affect. Um, and when, when I explain it like that, like, here's the research, here's the science, it's a fact. It's not my opinion. Like, this is, this is definitive in the research. And this is what's happening with children. Like, nobody is performing surgery um, on 12-year-olds. People are like, oh, I completely, like, didn't understand that. And I think that that is, part of that is, like, what is our what is our media doing to not properly explain that and create the divisiveness because it's, it get, it gets clicks, you know what I mean? To, to put things certain ways, I guess, I don't know, but I, it is interesting to me to think about how we can come together and absolutely there've been plenty of people that I have also blocked, but being able to have that conversation and even just hear one or two people say like, Oh, that's super helpful for me to understand. I didn't realize that. Like, 
that feels so incredible to me. Do you have those moments in your teaching and online as well? I'm hoping that you have a lot of that positive connection as well. Yeah, I definitely do. Uh, I definitely do. And I think, um, you know, just to circle back on one thing, agree to disagree uh, up to an extent, right? Like when the when their views are harming another oh, absolutely. group of yeah. people, then it's like, nah. Yeah. But, but yes, and I do get a lot of those affirming moments and just like, you know, a lot of times I'm the first like queer adult a kid sees. And so that, you know, all the preconceptions or preconceived notions they have of what a queer person is kind of go out the window when they actually like meet me. And, you know, I get to teach them all year and build relationships. And I, I had a student say just last week, they, they had never met a they them person before. And I just thought that was like, you know, it it almost feels a bit of like a big responsibility, you know, kind of being that first person (laughs) for a student or even a caregiver. But I I think that's a really like important thing is I think showing up authentically, sharing what I know and setting really healthy boundaries. Like I think that has had a really positive effect on my relationships with students because I see them the most. And then, you know, the adults that I interact with as well. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned agree to disagree up until a point, because I often say, like, there's compromise on everything except human rights and equality. Like, Mm -hmm. every human deserves respect and dignity. And, like, anything beyond that, you know, I think there's a lot of conversation and compromise that can happen if we just communicate with one another and and understand, right? We use that language that you're referencing to kind of really genuinely listen to one another. But I... It is unfortunate the way that, you know, things are set up right now as people are just not listening. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive. I take this probiotic every day. It is the one probiotic I've tried where I can actually tell a difference in my digestion, cravings, and even skin. I recommend it to all of my skincare clients too, because your gut health impacts literally everything, including your well-being and mood. Your gut houses up to 80% of your immune system. A healthy gut is truly the gateway to feeling your best. And unfortunately, our bodies are being attacked every single day and wreaking havoc on our gut health from stress to toxins, even just one day of exposure to things that don't agree with us. Thankfully, with Just Thrive Probiotic, it's easier to give your gut what it needs to thrive. Scientifically backed. Sorry about the pun. Just Thrive's breakthrough award-winning probiotic is the only product on the market that's proven to turn your gut into an antioxidant factory. In one trial, supplementing with Just Thrive Probiotic reduced leaky gut and inflammation, meaning that you get maximum immune, digestive, and total body health support. Plus, it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO. So if you're looking for the best in gut health and immune support, choose the clinically proven award-winning power of Just Thrive Probiotic. Honestly and sincerely, this is the only probiotic I can feel making a difference when I take it. To try it yourself, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code THEWHOLEVIEW. That includes bundles and subscriptions, so definitely double up your savings at justthrivehealth.com slash discount slash the whole view with code the whole view. 
Hey there, when was the last time you checked the expiration dates and EWG safety ratings of your toiletries and makeup? This month, June 2022 is the time because you can use code CLEANFORALL30 for 30% off my personal favorite brand, Beauty Counter. And when you choose Stacy Toth at checkout, I'll be donating essential items to Friendship Place, an award-winning, nationally recognized safe space. Before I became a foster parent, I had no idea that there is a much larger percentage of people who experience homelessness that are LGBTQ. In fact, 40% of homeless youth identify queer, many of whom age out of the system and are abandoned by their family. So if you choose to help yourself by switching to Safer for Less, you'll also help Beauty Counter's mission to help get safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws. You'll support my woman-owned business. You'll also support Friendship Place, and you'll get yourself 30% off with code CLEANFORALL30. Fun fact. I actually switched to Beauty Counter when I found out that the all-natural fermented cod liver beauty balm I was using had been tested by a third party to have hydrogenated oils. Not what I was expecting. Turns out there is no standard in personal care regardless of what the label says. I love that Beauty Counter tests every single product batch against 23 different human health and environmental endpoints to ensure performance and safety. No contaminants, carcinogens, or unsafe heavy metals, no benzene in sunscreen, no PFAS in makeup, no asbestos in makeup either. Did you hear about that latest Claire's news article again? Only nourishing skin superfoods to help you love the skin you're in. And it's a certified B Corp, ensuring transparency for doing good by people on the planet. I know change is hard and switching to safer can be expensive. Let me take the fear out and help you. Choose Stacy Toth with no E at checkout to use code CLEANFORALL30 when using an email that's never purchased before for 30% off your order. With their 60-day no-questions-asked return policy, what do you have to lose? Shopping beautycounter.com slash Toth is just like any other website. You can also email me, stacy at realeverything.com for help. And don't forget to use code CLEANFORALL30 for 30% off your order at beautycounter.com slash stacytop. So with that in mind, I wonder if we can empower our listeners to instead feeling, instead of feeling like, oh, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. It's all like nobody will listen. I'm on board, but I don't know how I can help. Maybe we could talk about some of the ways we can empower our listeners with actions that they can do. For example, you mentioned a book earlier, and we will put the titles and um, links to everything that we've mentioned in show notes. But what books would you suggest we read or activities can we do to be inclusive and supportive allies? Sure. So I think if we're kind of starting at point zero, right, like wanting to really learn, you know, identities and just vocabulary, Gender Your Guide by Lee Ayrton is absolutely phenomenal, really friendly primer with solid tips and strategies from everything to, you know, what are pronouns to how can you create 
like a, a gender friendly in work environment. And so that book really just covers everything. And I always recommend it to folks who, you know, just kind of want that very basic vocabulary or kind of like baby steps. Right. And then I think that it's a really beautiful thing to just explore your own gender, even if you are cisgender, which means you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth, just understanding how you've been socialized in your gender, how you present your gender is just a really awesome way to kind of get to know yourself more. And there's a phenomenal book called The Gender Quest Workbook, and it's meant more for teens, but I did it as an adult when I was figuring out all my stuff, <laughs> and it was really, really helpful. And, you know, there's a lot of resources online, like there's the Sexuality Galaxy from Action Canada that has a really holistic approach to what sexuality is and different identities. Glisten has some incredible resources. So that's kind of the, like learning piece of it. But I can share some really quick and easy tips to be more inclusive in your everyday life if you would like that too. Absolutely. Give it, yeah. give it to us, all of it. All right, sweet. So, I mean, the first thing is our language. Like, what kind of language are we using? Do we say you guys, right, which is upholding the gender binary because guys is inherently masculine. So you'll notice I say y'all or folks a lot or even everyone because it's taken me so long to break you guys from my vocabulary because it's just how I grew up. But there are kids in my classroom who don't feel affirmed by that phrase. And so you know, looking at our language and where it is gendered, right? Like if we see a stranger on the street, do we automatically assign them pronouns based on how they look? So, you know, I, whenever I'm grocery shopping or I'm out in public, if I see someone and I like notice something really cool about them or like I'm curious about them, I'll use singular they in my head because I don't know what their pronouns are. I don't know how they identify and I wouldn't know unless I ask them. And, you know, I don't talk to every stranger that I meet. So me knowing that information is very slim. So I use singular they. And that's a really great practice to, A, practice with singular they, and B, to just not make assumptions about other people. Because I think that's where a lot of the lack of inclusion comes from, is we make a lot of assumptions. And our society in general is set up to help us make a lot of assumptions. So we really have to break out of that. And so thinking about our language and how we refer to other people is just super quick and easy. I love those ideas. And I do think that it's interesting as the parent of a child whose pronouns are they, them, it was not an easy task in the beginning to break the habit of using he, she pronouns exclusively, which I had up until that point. And I, I talked to a lot of people who were like, but it's, I want to do it. And it's so supportive, but I have a hard time with it. And the thing that I tell them is like, so just keep practicing. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's okay that you're going to make mistakes. I literally call my children the wrong name sometimes. Like, <laughs> and it's not because I don't care about them. It's because my brain associates whatever activity they're doing more likely with another child and immediately jumps to that um like I have one child who's super clumsy so if another child breaks something the first word that comes out of my name is the clumsy child even though it wasn't them so you know I I think the thing is to kind of own okay I know that I'm having a hard time with this and I'm going to practice it so the idea of you know starting to use singular they in your own 
converse in your own head, you know, when you're thinking about other people will make it that much easier to use it conversationally. I'm wondering if maybe you can, in your own words, I don't want to speak for you. I know sometimes I speak for kiddo, but not when I have you here. When someone makes a mistake, Mm -hmm. what what is the best way for them to proceed forward? Like, how, how does that look in an ideal scenario? Sure. So, you know, every person is different and will want to repair harm in a different way, but a kind of common thread that I have found is if you do make a mistake, um, not over-apologizing for it. So, you know, our first instinct is when we mess up is to just be go, just like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry, and just draw a lot of attention to the mistake when you know we kind of just want to move past it and it's okay to just keep moving forward so if somebody corrects you instead of saying i'm sorry you can replace that with thank you right because when we say i'm sorry our gut instinct is to say it's okay right and it's not okay to misgender somebody yes it happens mistakes absolutely happen but ultimately you know it's it's harm and so by saying thank you we kind of take ownership of that mistake and then just moving on in the sentence or rephrasing with the correct pronoun is just a really simple smooth you know way to keep the conversation going and not putting all this attention or making the person who was misgendered feel like they have to comfort the person who misgendered them. And then sometimes, and this will depend on the person, but if, you know, sometimes my energy level at the end of the day is so low. If someone misgenders me, I don't always correct them. But, you know, if if you noticed you misgender someone later, like after the fact, just sending like a quick text that says, hey, I recognize I use the wrong pronouns. I'm going to do better tomorrow. That means a lot because just because someone doesn't correct you doesn't mean that they didn't notice. It probably means they didn't have the bandwidth to do it and no one else spoke up for them. So, you know, taking responsibility, even if it's after the fact, can build a lot of trust and capital. But not everyone will want to, like, receive that. A lot of people will just want to forget about it. So you know, checking in with the person, you know, if a mistake happens, what would make you feel most comfortable to repair the harm is always a really good place to start. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. I have one more question for you. Sure. I remember when I was in elementary school and I might I might be significantly older than you, so you might not remember this, okay. but we used to have these little things in the windows that when we were walking home from school, it was like a house with a star on it. And if there was danger, we were told to find one of these houses with the stars on them and to like go into the house. And I think about that in my brain when I think of the word safe space, right? I think mm-hmm. of like, where is a safe space for someone who is a vulnerable person and who needs to know that I am a house with a star and that they can come to me and be safe and that I can be protective. I can speak up and, you know, correct pronouns or I can be the voice that needs to happen sometimes from a heteronormative type person in order to get something accomplished. I'm wondering in what ways do you see and find personally that makes you instantly feel in your heart if you saw one of those houses with a star. Does that make sense, the question? It it totally does, and I promise I will answer it. I do want to share something I've learned recently around the discussion of safe space. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. 
So Britt Hawthorne, who's an incredible educator that I respect so much, and Liz Kleinrock have both kind of talked about reimagining a safe space to a brave space, because in a lot of instances, we can't guarantee that a space is safe for all youth or even all adults, right? Because everybody has these biases. Everybody, you know, we can't promise that 100% of the time our space is a space where you will be safe, right? From misgendering, from, you know, even if it's not intentional, but queerphobic remarks, you know, a student not understanding why something is harmful, we can't promise that won't ever happen. But reframing it as a brave space where it's a space where you feel you can make mistakes and you'll be gently like called in and have that discussion to be better the next time is uh, really kind of powerful because you can claim a space to be safe, but then a student walks in and immediately gets misgendered. And that's not a safe space. Um, a brave space would be someone feeling comfortable enough to correct the person who misgendered them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that reframe. Yeah. And so when I think of a brave space, I think of, you know, like, I'll be honest, rainbow flags are great, you know, like little stickers on the doors my school, even some teachers have these, you know, this classroom is uh, a safe space or they have just a plain old rainbow flag. And that's great. But it doesn't necessarily always do it for me, right? Like, I can, that shows me that, okay, you know that the rainbow flag is associated with the LGBTQ plus community. And so it's really more about people's actions and what they do. And so how, you know, what their classroom looks like. Does it have representation on the walls or in the curriculum? Does um, the person use inclusive language or ask questions out of a place of curiosity, wanting to like learn more and be better. So those things, you know, and that takes time, you know, we can put all the rainbow flags and rainbow bulletin boards and have all the LGBTQ plus books that we want, but that real trust comes over time and it's all through action. So having those things, those, those physical things is great. And I'm not saying we get rid of them because we definitely shouldn't. But the biggest indicators for me are people who speak up, you know, correct other people when they misgender me so I don't have to have conversations with me when, you know, they recognize they have a bias and want to do better. So things like that are really what kind of signal to me that this person is a person I can trust. I love that. I I think those are really helpful in terms of being action oriented too. And just like it will take work to think about singular they when not knowing someone's pronouns, it is even more difficult for me with the you guys and the different kinds of things like that. And I wouldn't be successful with that if I didn't have people in my life my partners, my kids, all that kind of stuff to call that out for me either. Fortunately, I have some some woke kiddos who love correcting their mother. And so, you know, what I would add to that is if you listener are feeling like you want to do that and you have a hard time with it, who is in your life that you guys can do it and be accountable to one another? And see, mm-hmm. I just did it. You guys, <laughs> you folks um, can do it together and, time. <laughs> and, and hold each other accountable. Like when you're together, what can you do to call each other out in a supportive, compassionate sort of way? Because I don't think that it's possible to be 
successful the way that you might want to be if operating within a vacuum, because this is about community. It is about inclusion. And you're going to have to bring your community along with you to help you understand why this is important. And taking those actions are critical for helping a community of vulnerable people whose rights are being taken away feel comfortable, whether Mm -hmm. they feel safe or, you know, brave or whatever it is. Like we, we need people to feel comfort and safety and as much as we can do towards that to be brave and to be inclusive and to empower other people to feel like they can be themselves I think is the the most important thing mm-hmm. awesome well do you have anything else any other words of wisdom before we before we wrap I think just echoing what you said about finding someone to do the work with kind of like a Brit ha- or sorry Bettina Love Dr. Bettina Love uses the phrase co-conspirator mm. right somebody that you can work with and hold each other kind of accountable and do check-ins when you have that person you have someone that you can process things with you have mm. somebody that you can just kind of grow with and I think that's really powerful and will help you be more successful and also recognizing that language changes over time, how people identify and see themselves changes over time. And that doesn't mean that they're confused. It doesn't mean that, you know, they didn't know who they were at one point. It just means that their view of themselves has evolved. And so I think, you know, just being flexible or recognizing that identity can be a really fluid thing can kind of make some of this a little bit easier to kind of comprehend but I think, I think those would be my two big pieces of advice. I'm so glad you mentioned that last piece. I would love to explore that more. We're going to pop over to patreon.com slash the whole view. You can hear what we really thought about the show. I have a conversation to share about that and some information that I shared on social that people said was really helpful about kiddos changing identity. And so we'll talk about that over on patreon.com slash the whole view, which is also the best place to ask questions too. And if you love the show and what we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show, but so is leaving a review and hitting the follow or subscribe button and sharing with people whom you know, you care about and encouraging them to listen to the show. I also want to shout out patreon.com slash growing outside the binary, which is ACE's Patreon. And you can also follow ACE at instagram.com slash teaching outside the binary or at teaching outside the binary.com. And we'll of course have links to all of those things in the show notes for you. And I just, I want to thank you for being on the show, ACE. Thank you so much for having me. This was an awesome conversation. Indeed. Because you're awesome. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.